Hi, everyone. Welcome to our podcast. This is our very first episode of Pedagogy Geeks. My name is Ariel Weiss. And I'm Ryan Tusing. I'm a pianist and piano teacher living here in Virginia. And I have a dance background, and I've been teaching Alexander Technique here in Philadelphia since 1988. We invite you to join us in exploring the hows and whys behind what we teach musicians so that we can promote the integration of wellness and musicianship. Most importantly, we invite your curiosity and hope to inspire you to ask lots of questions. And just, we want to support and encourage re-examining, rediscovering, and bringing embodiment and creativity into our teaching. Can you believe we finally made it here, Ryan? You know, I can, but it's also, it's, it's exciting and it's, it's always a long time in developing these things, I think. You and I have been plotting and planning for several months and it was fun nicknaming ourselves Pedagogy Geeks because we just can't get enough. So I certainly hope people will be interested to listen in and join us in asking some questions. So Ryan, what brought you into this world of music and pedagogy? Tell me more about your background. It's kind of an interesting story in a certain sense because I, I definitely didn't begin music nearly as early as many of my peers who are musicians did. I started when I was about 12. And from that point on, I my first teacher, you know, told my parents, so he's never going to catch on with this. This isn't going to be for him. <laughs> and I guess the rest is history. I really just loved it. And so here I am today, but it's it's been an enjoyable journey, not always an easy journey, I think, with all of us and the things that we do, but I've been so blessed to learn so much along the way and to gradually, as I was learning, I, I encountered some limitations in my playing and I wanted to overcome those and I knew there had to be a way. So at first I discovered the Taubman approach and so I started studying that with my teacher, Robert Durso, and then... I discovered Alexander Technique and have been working with you since then. And those things have really helped both my own musicianship and my teaching. And I really am passionate about sharing those things and all of the related uh, knowledge from different fields that we can gain with other musicians and with my students. And mm. what about you, Ariel? How did you come to this, this <laughs> world and working with musicians? I know you mentioned your backgrounds in dance. Yes, I've been dancing since I was four years old. And as a kid, I did have some music lessons, but I quit because I didn't have the patience to stick with it. And I stuck with dance classes instead. And uh, what happened to me was in 1998, I was hired to go and help musicians at the Curtis Institute of Music. And I was quite mm, nervous about it. I had never really gone to an opera and there I was coaching opera singers at first in little tiny rooms. It was quite an experience, lucky me to be exposed to music that way. And uh, it has been a dream job for me and has taken me many different places. And 
when I used to kind of apologize to the musicians about not understanding what they knew, now I see it as an asset. That as an outsider that really is just looking at coordination and movement and thinking habits, uh, I don't get tied up in the technique of music the way I do about dance technique, for instance. I have a lot of opinions about dance technique. But with music technique, I get to kind of be this, um, I'm going to call myself Switzerland. I'm kind of neutral. <laughs> and so I really have learned so much from my students over the years, not just at Curtis, but all kinds of musicians. Um, and I'm fascinated with that, with that intersection of how what I know actually helps musicians so very much. And the other thing is that I started training Alexander teachers about 15 years ago. And that really turned up my interest in pedagogy is how can I really show these trainees, not just what I'm teaching, but the understanding underneath the hood of why I do things the way I do, which has evolved so much over my decades of teaching. So I can't get enough. And it's something that really drew me to you, Ryan, is you're so insatiable with your curiosity. And you're always reading and learning from different facets of people who are looking at the topics of learning and teaching. And I, I always enjoy our conversations. So there you go. That's how we started this podcast. But tell me more um, about what makes the topics we're, we're going to be addressing. Like, why do you think that's important? Why did we feel the need to do this, Ryan? Why did you feel the need? It's such an interesting thing because, as I mentioned before, I kind of found, you know, the Taubman approach and then Alexander technique and then these other things that I also love to explore. And I realized that in the process of this exploration, I was a little bit shocked because I was like, why isn't this stuff better known? Because, I mean, for me, these things have made such a difference. They've, they've helped me help my students and my students, you know, benefit from these things. And they tell me often, wow, this makes this so much easier. And I guess, you know, as a result mm. of that, I've just thought about that and I've thought about my own background and training. And I guess I just haven't been able to really get it off my mind where I'm thinking, well, if these things are so helpful, why aren't they better known? And what what could I do about that? You know, what can we do about that? And that's where I love, you know, our interactions and our conversations about pedagogy and these things, because I think it's a really great way for us to share, you know, a lot of these different facets, you know, of this topic, you know, between the movement and the way we think about it and all of these things, you know, combined with, you know, how do we even what is musicality? How are we thinking about that? And how do we actually do that at an instrument or with our bodies? And, you know, just really thinking about those things for me and just recognizing the lack of a lot of this information, you know, in many of the platforms that I've been familiar with, I've really wanted a, another way to explore those things and to share them with more people who I'm sure would be interested in exploring them, too. How did you, you know, become interested <laughs> in this topic, I guess I should say? I mean, I know you were at Curtis. Is, is that kind of how that happened? Yeah, well, certainly uh, Curtis has been an ongoing laboratory for me. And as the longer I teach and the longer I have the opportunity to interact with musicians all over the world, I, I kind of boil it down this way. 
I feel that musicians, for the most part, are taught so much and so diligently about their musical instruments and about the music they're playing. They'll know about the composer. They'll know about the composer's birthplace. They'll know so much about the music and about the musical instrument and very little about their own self. They're not taught a lot about their own physical structure or its capacity for movement. And none of the musicians I'm working with uh, are, are playing player pianos. Like they have to move to make music, whether they're moving air, moving fingers, like something needs to move in order to make music. And when you don't fully understand your own instrument, so singers think they know their instrument, but they're usually kind of working with a very limited scope of what they think their instrument is, you know, belly up to eyeballs, right? And there's much more to us than just our physical parts. And so where I like to start with musicians and say, it's always a duet, right? Or a trio, it's a collaboration of your whole self with the instrument you're playing if you're an instrumentalist and the composer's intention. Or uh, if you're improvising, then the intention of the improvisation with you or your fellow musicians. But it's always a collaboration. And that opening up of the field of what you're going to pay attention to is a gem. It's just opens up so much possibilities for musicians. So that's really uh, become my mission as a teacher. And uh, I agree with you. Uh, I'm hoping to share that mission in a wider scope is really my motivation. Yeah. So who do you think this podcast is for? Ryan? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a really good question because I think, you know, with anything, with all of the different choices that we all have to, of things to listen to and to read and to explore, I think it's really a good idea that we are, we're clear about that. And I would say, for me, I would say that this podcast is really geared toward musicians, music teachers, um, somatic practitioners. And I would say specifically to jump on the bandwagon with what you said about the idea of music making is always a collaboration, whether it's in our bodies and the instrument we're playing or the, and the other musicians or exactly however that works in a given scenario. I think the more that we understand that, and the more that we bring that into our teaching and to our own performance as musicians, I think from any of those aspects of, you know, whatever role we might be in, I think really taking these ideas on board can be really transformative. I, I certainly know that they have been for me. And so I would be excited for, you know, other musicians and music teachers mm. to explore them, too. What were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I love this that we're we're already developing a theme in our discussion today about collaboration because for me, uh, I'm really wanting to reach people who um, this idea of collaboration, not just with an instrument or music, but also with yourself, with your own moving parts. So that uh, one of the things I run across is musicians can be remarkably disciplined. It takes a great deal of discipline uh, to pursue musicianship. And yet a lot of times what I find, I'd like to tease my students, I find they're bullying themselves. 
So it's not just that you have to be a teacher to listen to our podcast. I think when we're learning music, we're teaching ourselves, we're collaborating with ourselves. And the quality of that collaboration will have a lot to do with how successful you are. And by the way, how much you enjoy making music. And so I really want this to help people get curious about how they're teaching themselves. How are you practicing, right? And if you are teaching students, if you're a music educator, um, not to like downplay or, or denigrate how you're teaching at all, but I, I understand in my own teaching practice that if I stop being curious, I'm not gonna be a very good teacher. And so um, maybe instead of framing it that way, I prefer to frame it by saying, uh, staying curious and continuing to learn has kept me so excited as a teacher. It, it brings me great joy and I know it makes me a better teacher. And so if we can help teachers feel excited in their curiosity, not only will they be serving their students uh, more, but I am hoping it will help excite teachers in their own teaching practice as well. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I just, I think that mm -hmm. idea that you've brought up about, you know, curiosity and being open to curiosity and not, you know, necessarily saying, and let's just be clear, we're not telling everybody, okay, we've got the answer. You guys are all doing it wrong. <laughs> that is not <laughs> what this podcast is about at all. We're really about, you know, encouraging curiosity, you know, openness, honesty, examining the things that we've, you know, maybe get gleaned from our teachers and maybe some of them work super well, but maybe other things if we explore other ideas too and think of things that we haven't even thought of before. Maybe it will help us to better understand those things or deepen them or even give us new ideas as to how we can bring these things, you know, into our own practice and to our teaching. I think it's really exciting. Mm. So I would say, Ariel, if you were going to just say, what do you really hope to accomplish with this podcast? What are what are we hoping to do for people in the process of sharing these things? Mm. Well, I really want to jump off of what you were just talking about, Ryan, because I find that very inspiring that, and I'm so glad you said that, um, that where we're coming from as pedagogy geeks is not uh, to, to kind of parade our expertise, although you and I both have quite a bit of expertise, that the, our mission is really to invite people into a process of exploration. And uh, so that's really what I'm hoping to accomplish is to make a safe space for people to not know, uh, to make a safe space for people to be willing to kind of say, oh, is there another way to go about like, what's important to me as an educator? What's important to me about music making? And how can I best uh, find a process to kind of unleash that? I really think Every human being is a creative soul. That's my standpoint. And even though uh, I'm not a music teacher, um, I did teach creative movement. So little ones, I don't know if you know that. For about 25 years, I taught three to six-year-olds. And I miss it terribly because three to six-year-olds are not judgy yet. They're not old enough to be snarky quite yet. And so you give them an idea. I remember I taught retrograde to three to six-year-olds one year, which is ridiculous developmentally. You shouldn't be able to teach it. But I just didn't know that. So I tried and we did forward and backward dances. <laughs> and those three to six-year-olds went with me because they haven't shut down their curiosity. And so 
that's what I'm wanting to just invite people into um, not feeling bad about their teaching or their learning, but really to open up uh, a, a sandbox. Let's play. That's my hope. <laughs> How about for you, Ryan? Well, let me just say, I love that. And that analogy that you mentioned <laughs> about, you know, teaching young children and, you know, just that uninhibited joy of exploring and being curious and just just trying things and really just finding what, what works and what's fun and what you know, what is effective. I, I, I love that idea. And I would say that's also what I'm really hoping to impart to everyone, because I think we just we all are so concerned. I mean, I'm speaking for myself here. So often I'm just like, OK, this is in the score. This needs to come out exactly right. You know, you're, you're concerned about this. And even in your teaching, you're like, well, you know, maybe something isn't you know, as the students playing it or singing it or whatever, maybe it's not quite the way it was in the score. So you're, you're thinking of a way to get that across, but realizing that, yes, you know, we, we want to achieve those things, but also recognizing that the best way, at least in my opinion, for us to do that is to really explore how can we integrate all of the different things we've been talking about? How can we make it an exploration? How can we make it fun? How can we make it exciting about curiosity and really inspire our students and stay inspired ourselves too in that process? So it's about, you know, not just, you know, doing everything that's on the page for the sake of doing everything that's on the page, but for really trying to discover what's there, why it's there, and how can we bring that to life in an exciting way with our own coordination and with the instruments that we play? And I just think the combination of all of those things and just really relating it to curiosity and just that open childlike joy that we can bring to the process is just such a rich place to go. Yes, and I'd like to, if I can jump on because- Of course. Um, I'm really thinking a lot about within the field that I work within Alexander Technique, there's a lot of musicians that become Alexander Technique teachers, largely because so many musicians get injured. Elephant in the room here, because it's not often talked about. And if they're not physically injured, uh, the performance anxiety is crippling. And these are things that are very hush-hush in most music uh, communities. And <clears throat> a lot of people find those that do find help with Alexander Technique often are so inspired they want to go and teach, which is wonderful. I think there's not enough of us, um, but that's just my opinion. But I want to talk about something very specific, which is that in my experience in the Alexander communities, oftentimes, uh, and I see this in some of my students, that when I start providing some of this information about how your own physical structure works, right, embodiment, I know that can open up a world of possibility, not only so you don't injure yourself, but for real expressivity. And yet the same tool of asking someone to tune in to their own movement can distract musicians, make them become really obsessive and tighten them up, which is by the way, not what we're after as Alexander teachers. And yet it happens. And we don't talk about them in the Alexander world. We don't talk about how sometimes asking our students to pay attention makes things worse. And this has become really a key part of my mission 
because how do I offer what I know about coordination in a way that it always serves the music making? It serves the music. The paying attention to your coordination is not the end. I don't really care if you have good posture. What I want to help you with is, is your movement serving the music? That's what I care about. Is how you're thinking serving you making music and enjoying it? You know, I started studying Alexander Technique uh, when I was 18 years old in college. And I was quite shocked that part of what happened was not only did my balance improve, <laughs> thank goodness I needed some help with that, but I kind of remembered that I loved dancing. I remembered the joy of moving through space. And I had these flashbacks of being a four-year-old and just being so gleeful, galloping over shoeboxes in my first dance classes. And through all my years of getting very serious and really caring very much about how good I was, I kind of squeezed all that joy out of myself. And I forgot that I love moving through space. As a dancer, that's kind of my primary joy. And Alexander Technique helped me reclaim that. So I want to remind musicians that they love making music. Because if you're working really hard and squeezing yourself to be accurate, yes, and technically perfect, a lot of times you've squeezed the joy, in my experience, right out of the experience. And I don't really want to listen to that music, by the way. It sounds not quite the same. So that's also important for me. Wow, I, I love that. And I would just say for me, too, that that really brings up, I think, something that often can stand as a false dichotomy in our thinking, where sometimes when we are aware of our movement and we're thinking, okay, good coordination. You know, I know for me, for a while, I was very much thinking, okay, I need to get this coordination right. I still cared about the music very much, but I was very focused on, you know, I've got to get this coordination, which I'm not saying coordination is not important. It's very important because otherwise it's not going to sound very good. But I think the really recognizing that these things are not ultimately at war with each other, that ultimately, it's a both and situation where we have our coordination mm -hmm. and we have the music. And just, you know, talking about that, it made me think about my own experience. And like, I kind of had a similar experience to you where I, you know, I started this, I loved making music. I was like, this is the best thing ever. I just have so much joy in doing this. And then it became more and more serious and was, you know, in college and things working on this certain point, I just ended up very frustrated. And I was like, I was, I was, I felt like in a sense, I was going through the motions, trying to do my best, but yet not, you know, finding the success that I wanted or the joy in making music. And I'd say for me, exploring the Alexander technique and the Taubman approach have both been such wonderful avenues to rediscovering that joy. And also not only just rediscovering the joy, but rediscovering the joy and integrating that with mindfulness with good coordination and all of that in service of the music yes yes and that's how actors talk about it yes and and we're talking about collaboration again mm -hmm. mm, seems to be the theme of our discussion today which is exciting and i also just want to say um repetitive strain injuries are rampant amongst instrumentalists i mean there is so much injury 
And I would love to not only help musicians who are injured recover, I would love to help musicians not get injured in the first place. And the best place to do that, and I say this to my students all the time, and if you are teaching or you ever teach, please share this with your students so that we don't create more and more generations of instrumentalists that feel like they just have to push through and keep playing and keep injuring themselves. It does not make better music. So we've got some lofty missions here, don't we? <laughs> well, certainly we do. <laughs> what else do we need to talk about in this first episode, do you think, Ryan? Well, I was just thinking about, um, I, I know you did this wonderful TED talk where you were talking about posture and all of these misconceptions we have around posture. And I know when I watched that, I, I realized I had a few of those going on in my own thinking. And I think as you were talking about repetitive strain injuries and these different things that, you know, musicians and music teachers encounter on a regular basis, I guess I was wondering, are there particular things that you've noticed in your practice that seem to be really commonly held among the different musicians and music teachers that you work with that you think we could we could all be encouraged to question and to maybe reevaluate some of these things? Mm, thank you so much for asking. Yeah, I was inspired to do that TED Talk because uh, Alexander Technique is really a study of um, the collaboration of our thinking and our moving. I'm going to use that word again. I snuck it in there. But how we think is always how we move. And so what we've been taught about posture really is usually not helpful at all, but that we've all been taught that. And so most of us are kind of hanging on to the idea of sitting up straight, for instance. And that's not going to help you. And the harder you work at it, it's not going to get any better because that's not a helpful idea because that's not how you're built. And so I would say the thing that I run into with musicians most commonly is that there is most commonly a belief that they're not working hard enough and that they're not practicing enough. And that the go-to answer is to work harder and practice more. Now, I don't mean to uh, say that musicians don't need to practice. Of course you do. Uh, but as an Alexander teacher, I'm so interested in the quality of that practice. And that uh, same thing happens for me when I help people at the gym, because there's, believe it or not, I think it's a similar mindset. The way most people are taught their physical therapy exercises or their personal training exercises is they're taught how many to do. And more is better. So as you get stronger, you do more. I used to be able to do 10, now I can do 20. And 20 is better than 10. And I'm like, not always. <laughs> because if you're using your neck muscles to do those bicep curls, you're making your trapezius stronger, not your biceps. So if I can get you to do two bicep curls mindfully in a way that you're coordinating yourself in the way that you actually want to live your life, right? So mindful practice, not bludgeoning yourself, I'm not good enough, right? So bringing a different kind of awareness, but also a different tone to the collaboration about how you work is one of my key things that I bring to my students and invite them into. How about for you, Ryan? Yeah. Um, wow. I would say it's interesting because 
that thread, you know, of thinking about this idea that we often think more is better. And, you know, I must be diligent. I must, you know, in my case, I must be at the piano, you know, 24 hours a day, you know, all of this sort of thinking was stuff that I had really, you know, for a long time, I practiced a lot of that. And I was like, okay, I've just, you know, got to be at the piano eight, nine hours a day. And interestingly enough, and I mean, I'm sure this is not necessarily everyone's experience, but for me, because, you know, I was doing the best I could at the time and trying to, you know, do do mindful practicing at the time. But what I was doing, at least for me, it, it wasn't very effective. And even though I was spending all that time and, you know, checking off the clock and, you know, all of that, I just I didn't feel that I was accomplishing what I should be for that amount of work. And so it really mm -hmm. led me to question what exactly am I practicing? And and is what mm. I'm practicing, is it really helping me to achieve what I'm after? And so I'd say for me, you know, when I first encountered the Taubman approach, it was completely revelatory to me because I was like, all of a sudden, I see, oh, if you want to achieve this sort of sound, or if you want this to be fast and even, or, you know, you want to have these possibilities for expression, and for it to feel comfortable and easy to do, this is exactly how you practice. And I think, you know, in combining that mm. and, you know, then what I've learned so much from you for, about in the Alexander Technique, I think, you know, exploring those different things, it's really reshaped the way I think about practicing, the way that I teach my students to practice. And it's really just honestly, you know, kind of brought some of the joy back to it because instead of me just feeling like, okay, mm. I'm checking all the boxes, I'm being a good student, I'm, I'm doing all this stuff. All of a sudden, I have, I'm finding much more success in, in bringing out my musical intentions, doing so comfortably, mm -hmm. and it's more reliable. You know, I'd say for me, you know, really understanding that there's a connection there. Because I think so often, you know, to your point that musicians are very dedicated, you know, very disciplined people. And, you know, they're like, okay, I need to you know, spend so long or, you know, doing this, drilling this. And sometimes I think we do that with the very, very best intentions. I know I did. And yet sometimes it's hard. It was at least hard for me, you know, to recognize that in spite of that, maybe the results that we're getting, you know, maybe they're, maybe they're not quite what we're after. And so maybe just being open to the possibility that maybe if we, you know, explore other things. Maybe we might find some other ways that could give us mm. some new ideas and, you know, maybe reinform some old ideas that we have and, and make those even more effective. <laughs> maybe those kinds of things would really help us a lot. I know speaking from personal experience, kind of combining all of these things has really been amazing for me. And I'm so grateful mm. to have had the opportunity to explore it. Yeah. That so resonates with me, Ryan. It's like the diligence without the joy. Yeah. Like, what do you get? I don't think you get music. When I, mm -hmm. when I help musicians move with less unnecessary tension, what I hear is their musical thought. I don't know how I can hear that exactly, but it comes through. And I like to say, I'm just a human being with ears. I listen, right? I'm a human. And because music is for me, it's just as much for me as it is for musicians. And so my ears matter. And when people are not just diligently trying to get it right, right? When they're not 
being a perfectionist for perfectionism's sake, right? When the accuracy is serving that I have something to say, wow, then all of a sudden, sometimes I start weeping because the music starts to move me as a human. And isn't that the point? <laughs> I think that's really the point. So then we get to move our audiences and, and rediscover that for ourselves. So yeah, we, we, boy, that's a lot that we hope to accomplish. <laughs> it certainly is. <laughs> with, with thinking about all of that, I guess the next question that kind of comes to my mind, when we're thinking about teaching, or we're thinking even about teachers that we've had, or these things, what are things in your experience, what, what, what qualities really, you know, represent to you and, and kind of create, help create this wonderful this wonderful person who is a great teacher, you know, what, what goes into that, would you say? Yeah, well, I think a good learner is a good teacher and a good collaborator, right? Are we trying to just get our students to do what we want them to do? Because that's manipulation. That's not teaching. And so how are we hosts? How are we inspirers? How are we collaborators? Um, so that we're making room for our students uh, really to make their own discoveries. That to me is the key. That's the most important thing. How about for you, Ryan? That's beautifully said. And, and I, I completely agree with all of that. And I think just picking up on that theme of, you know, our, that we've had going on throughout our discussion of collaboration, the way that you kind of alluded to and even mentioned hospitality in this in the sense of how as teachers we're guiding and you know we're you know we're we're not manipulating our students to just okay I said this you do this it's it's much more of this discovering and I think you know to your point about good teachers are good learners and the way that all of those things relate I really think that that's kind of part of the the point of the podcast for me, because I think it's for me like I've really come to understand that the minute I stop discovering, stop being interested in discovering and stop learning myself is the minute that I should not teach another lesson, because mm -hmm. I really feel that it's so important, you know, this idea of embodiment and, you know, this idea. And I think if we're, you know, trying to explore continuing to be curious and explore these things ourselves we're going to be much more successful in helping our students do that so i'd say you know to answer the question more directly i would say for me it's about you know being honest being curious and being hospitable i think it's a mm. combination of those things oh i love that ryan and i just something popped into my brain i want to share about teachers as docents for discovery oh wow you just inspired me. <laughs> That's why I want to do this podcast with you. <laughs> I love our discussions. Well, before we wrap up, I do think we need to make an invitation to our listeners because we want to hear from you. We want to hear what you're interested in. We want to know what issues come up for you in your own learning or teaching. And we're looking for topics, right, for our future podcasts. Yes. Uh, how should people get in touch with us, Ryan? 
they can find us on your <laughs> website, AT Philip, and they can also, you know, we're going to have a slide at the end for those of you who are watching this on YouTube. You'll be able to see our contact, our contact information there. We'll also have this linked in the description of our podcast. So wherever you're finding this, it'll be available there. But you can also reach out to us by email at pedagogygeeks at gmail.com. And we invite your questions. We're excited to hear from you. Any, you know, anything that you're curious about. We want to help promote that curiosity and we would love to mm -hmm. explore with you. So feel free to reach out to us and thank you so much for joining us today. We, we really appreciate your time and attention and look for more podcasts coming soon. Terrific. Thanks, Ryan. If I asked you one idea you wanted to leave our listeners with today, what would the one idea be for you? Hmm. I'd have to say you know, childlike curiosity. Just, you know, just be open, be curious, be exploring. What about you? Mm, I'm going to go with collaboration as a, as a juicy idea for us as performers, as artists, as learners, and as teachers, as humans, right? We're always in collaboration with our environment, with our communities. So that's my idea. I think we did it. We finished our first podcast episode. Congratulations, Ryan. Yes, Yay, congratulations to you. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to continuing the conversation. If you liked this podcast, please do let your friends and colleagues know. Reach out to us at pedagogygeeks at gmail.com. And I look forward to our next episode. Mm -hmm.